like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness And when he sings to you Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick. And today we're going to begin jumping into the the stories Dick wrote in, in 1963. This was a, a set of a dozen or so stories, all written in a relatively short period of time in 1963. And he would publish these some in 1963 and some in 1964. So I'll break them up um, after I look at the novels of 1964. I'll come back and look at the rest. But it's, it's worth noting that many of these were written around the same period of time. Now, the, previously, the last story he wrote was, was written in, in 1958, and that was a war game. And after that, he started submitting stories, um, science fiction stories to his agent starting in early 1963. First, it was if there was no Benny Kimoli, Novelty Act, Water Spider, What Dead Men Say, Orpheus with Clay Feet, The Days of Perky Pat, Stand By, What Do We Do with Ramland Park, Oh to Be a Bobble. And then there's a bunch of other stories that are actually they're in the fifth volume of Collected Stories, which I don't have in front of me, but that in, you know, there's another five or so stories that were also written in that same year uh, that would be published over that over the next year or so. So this is um, all kind of one creative expression is what I'm trying to say. Now, I'm now the four stories I'm going to look at today were all published pretty much around the same period of time in the last couple months of 1963. So the order doesn't matter that much. Uh, I'll be starting with the days of Perky Pat. Then I'll be looking in one episode at two stories that go together. They're actually a direct sequel. So they kind of fit together as one story. And that's standby. And what do we do with Raglan Park? And then I'll look at if there was no. What's I want to make sure I get the right one. Yeah, if there was no Benny Kimoli. Simoli. That that that'll be the fourth one I'll look at. And then we'll we'll go back and look at well then we'll start looking at the novels of 1964 and then come up and look at the rest of these these stories. But I do think it might be useful to look at these stories as a it's kind of one period of, of Dick's work and one, one period of creativity. So the, the Days of Perky Pat is probably most well known for exploring an idea that Dick would develop and improve on, I think, in some ways, in his novel, The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. A lot of people read that novel, and it's often considered one of his greatest. And when people read The Days of Perky Pat, they're, you know, they're usually comparing it to that, that novel. And in fact, in... Dick's notes is he actually has about two pages of notes at the end of the fourth volume of the collective works where he gives his own thoughts about this story and mostly though he's writing about what inspired the three stigmata of Palmer Eldridge and he doesn't actually say that much about Perky Pat um, so even he's basically confusing uh, these two but I'll say a few words later on about what he actually said about where the story came from and what he was trying to do with it. 
It's, but I think it should it should be and can be looked at separate from that work, the three stigmata, Palmer, Eldridge, and I think it actually improves on. If you, it's a better if you look at it on its own for a couple of reasons. One is that it makes this theme of war and peace and generational conflict a lot more acute because these these are themes that they're not really in the short story at all or in the novel version of this idea, um, the idea of people projecting themselves into. A fantasy world constructed by essentially Barbie dolls is in there, but there it's all mixed up with drug use and the and the Martian setting. This is a post-apocalyptic setting, a post-war setting, and the real tension is between what the adults are doing, living out their fat past life through dolls, and what the children are doing with the world that they've inherited and don't they because they don't remember the old world so they don't feel the need to kind of live out in this fantasy world so it's much more about the generational conflict a theme that's as i recall almost entirely absent from the three stigmata palmer eldridge so i i don't know if it's better i, I think in some ways it's handled better in the novel but it's it's got themes in the story that that don't come up in the novel. So if you just read the novel, you're going to miss out on some of Dick's points about the the conflict between old and young. And you know, I I, I still don't know entirely where to come down on this. I think at times Dick does present young people as dangerous and threatening. And I just completed a novel, or my comments on a novel, The Game Players of Titan. You can go back and listen to it, where there's a major character, Marianne McLean, who's almost psychopathic. She has these psi powers, and she's very dangerous. She ends up killing her parents. And there are other novels that, that kind of present the dangerous young woman, usually, usually it's a young woman. But at the same time, we see a lot of stories, especially those of the 1960s, that, that present the children and young generations being really bound and entrapped by the values and the aspirations and the dreams of, of older people. So, you know, it, it, once children can be dangerous, but they also can be trapped in, and significantly unfree based on the institutions and the world around them. And I think Days of Perky Pat kind of is more pro-youth in the in this sense because the adults become very banal and, and almost silly and childish here. It's actually the young people who are actually doing the real work of, of making the world something. All right, so let's just jump into it. The story was originally published in Amazing. It's actually three months in a row Dick published the story in Amazing. So it was in October, November, and then December. And this is actually the one that was published in December. So maybe I should have looked at this one after Ragland Park and Standby. But this was not a magazine that published much of his 1950s stuff, if anything. And of course, it's, ama it's, it's amazing. So it's one of the, the great science fiction magazines of, of the period. But I have to look back, but I don't think it published much at all of his earlier work. So it, it's, it shows Dick's star rising, I guess, in the, in the profession. Um, but OK, let's go into the plot here. We have a, a group of flunkers. The flunkers are the people born before the war, and they wake up to the noise of care boys delivering aid packages to the Pinoli Fluke Pit where they live. So we have Sam Regan, Norman Shine and Todd Morrison, and they Get, go to the surface out of their underground kind of bunker houses to look at what's in today's packages. And they're really frustrated that the care boys from Mars, this what they're like shipping stuff from from Mars to, to sustain the people on Earth. In fact, it's almost the complete opposite of the three stigmata of Palmer and Eldridge, where there you have Earth sustaining Mars here. It's, it's essentially the survivors on Mars holding on 
keeping Earth from keeping Earth alive through these care packages. But they're basically living in these old public shelters that since since the war broke out. So what they they're really pissed off that they just get these packages that help them sustain their life rather than helping them really rebuild their civilization. But then they start to look through the packages for things that they could use in their layouts. So Timothy Schnein, Norman Schnein's son, uh, yeah, Norman Schnein's son, is preparing to go hunting, but he complains to himself while his parents spent all of their time playing with these perky pat dolls. So again, it's the exact inverse. Usually it's parents complaining that the children play too much with their dolls. Here it's the kids complaining that, that the adults do it. He collects his friend Fred Chamberlain and they go out to hunt. His parents are also playing Perky Pat. Fred Chamberlain's kid parents are also playing Perky Pat. As they go out, they notice that most of the relief parcels have been unclaimed by the adults. The adults have just kind of abandoning these these relief packages dropped from, from Mars, which are supposed to help them sustain their life, help them help them rebuild civilization and recover from the war and all that. And they're just not interested in most of what's delivered. They wonder if if the care boys, the people delivering the packages, know that their parents use the, the deliveries essentially to play with dolls. Meanwhile, they, they, they're hunting and they kill a rabbit and prepare it for sale. So back to the adults. Norman Schnein complains about the way that this group has been playing Perky Pat. She's... So... She's having her doll charged too much for therapy. Helen Morrison, another one of these adults, explains that the therapist in the layout is a private analyst and should charge more than the public group therapists. Schnein, however, is comfort, comforted by playing the game. It allows him to relive life before the war, so he decides to keep on playing. So there's this big dispute over how much the play therapist is charging the doll, Perky Pat, to, to get therapy. So the, these adults getting therapy through their dolls, but it's all play acting. It's, it's you know, it's it's actually such a wonderfully, it's a wonderful idea, actually, what Dick did here. So later, the adults of the community discuss the introduction of a new doll for their layouts called Connie Companion. But it will require having a harrowing journey to Oakland and everyone will need to pay money. This discourages them for going for it because they don't want to actually venture out to actually get the doll, it's too much work for them. They prefer just to play play with their layouts and play with their dolls here. Everyone needs to save their money too for playing the game. But that night, Jean Regan attempts to convince her husband to go out on his mission to get the Connie companion doll. She thinks he resists because he's afraid to be embarrassed in Oakland because their layouts there will be so much better. So he's really worried about conspicuous kind of the conspicuous consumption aspect of these layouts. Now, Norman Schnein is busy dismantling some computers delivered in the relief packages to get some gears for his Perky Pat layout. Again, you know, it's it's amazing that obviously this earth devastated by this war needs this technology to recover and to bake stuff to actually for life, but he's breaking down computers so these gears can be used for toys. Fran Schnein, I guess that's his wife, sends her husband to use a radio that the mayor has access to to contact the Oakland fluke pit, so the Oakland public shelter where a bunch of people are staying in Oakland. Norman uses it to contact the Oakland community, and they agree to play together after initial meeting at the Berkeley fluke pit. 
but warn Norman that they're serious players and that they'll only send their best player. So they're going to meet to, he's going to try to get this Connie companion doll, and it's all presented like a diplomatic negotiation, but the heart of it is that they're going to play together. So we have adults making a big deal of a play date, essentially is what they're, they're talking about. Norman returns from the initial Berkeley meeting and informs the Pinoli fluke pit where the community that, that he lives in, that the Oakland players will risk Connie companion, but only if their shelter is willing to wager Perky Pat and put her up. And I don't really know how they play. If they're just playing, how, how does the gambling work? It's not like the game players have tightened where there's clear rules. It seems they're just, you know, imagining things. Norman and Fran are then sent to Berkeley for the game with an entire layout and Perky Pat with them. They notice that the Berkeley flukes also play with Perky Pat, but they have more primitive layouts without the handmade furniture that the Pinoli community has. As the game begins, Norman is greatly impressed by how lifelike Connie Companion is. She was made of wood, painted, she had real hair attached to her. She was not made of plastic like the Perky Pat. The Perky Pat is essentially a Barbie doll. As the game progresses, Norm and Fran are shocked that Connie and Paul, her companion, are, you know, so Connie companion and and Paul. That's like they're Barbie and Ken. They're living together and are married. They object because this gives those dolls an unfair advantage in the game. Perky Pad and Leonard which is, I guess, their Ken, Leonard is their Ken doll, their version of the Ken doll. They start out dating. They're not married yet. And the layout makes it impossible for them to change their marital status, however. But they proceed with the game in order not to forfeit. So it seems the goal of the game is to progress through life, uh, kind of the bougie middle-class life, eventually, to, to succeed in that. And because the layout, although more primitive, the, the, the Berkeley layout, the, or maybe it was the Oakland playout, right? They're meeting in Berkeley, but they're from Oakland. That their play, their layout is more primitive, but it's more advanced in the sense that it allows them to be married. But they're not set up. To, the the Pinole group is not set up to be married. But they don't want to forfeit, so they proceed with the game. Now, meanwhile, Timothy and the other children seem Norm and Fran return victorious. They have won the Connie companion doll. They won by narrowly avoiding a tax lien on their home. So again, I don't know how the rules of this game really work. It seems they're just playing house with these dolls. But there seems to be some rules to it, but they're never fully described to us. But, but I think it's wonderful what Dick does in this story. To the excitement of the other flukers, the other people who were born before the war, they show this Connie, Connie companion doll off and show that Connie was pregnant and that they won a newborn baby along with the Connie companion. The others, however, are unwilling to accept this change because this change is going to change the game too much. It's going to, you know, they can't, they can't accept it. So they drive Norm and Fran out of the community. Timothy wants to go with his parents, and Norm realizes that the problem is that the Oakland community is developing. Their doll got married and has children. The Pinole community, though, is stuck in place by not having Perky Pat evolve. And, and that's how the story ends. This is what he says at the end. Those Oaklanders, their game, their particular doll had taught them something. Connie had to grow and it forced them all to grow along with her. Our flunkers never learned about that. Not from Perky Pat. I wonder if they ever will. She'd have grown up the way Connie did. Connie might have been like Pretty Pat once a long time ago. End quote. So the way we break this down, I guess, is 
I mean, in a way, the Oakland community is better because at least there's a history to their, their, their dolls, their playing dolls can progress in a way into some kind of future that might be unknown. They're still basically stuck in the past. They're still living out the life cycle of the pre-war times, but they, it's more, there's more change worked up in the way they play because of the dolls they have. But Perky Pat, the, the Barbie doll, essentially is 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 yeah a bachelorette right not married and she can't marry right because they don't actually have a pregnant perky pat doll so they can never make that step right and they can never actually marry because their layout doesn't allow it so they're they're much more s- stuck in the past now of course both communities are very toxic at the end of the day and it's really the young people who are progressing society in a substantial way but i still think it's fascinating that that's a very subtle difference between the oakland and the pinoli communities suggests that you know even if you're going to waste your life dreaming of the past and playing with dolls and acting like children when there's real work to be done, you know, at least, you know, if you're playing with the idea of the importance of change, that's a little bit better, even if not much. So for me, this is a wonderful and really horrifying story in a lot of ways. So Dick got the idea for this, and this is what he says in his notes, that he imagined that Barbie dolls did not seem to be created for children. They seem to be created for adults. They act out adult lives, they live in adult houses, and they seem to have adult problems. And in fact, you can actually look up the history of the Barbie doll. And it's, I think I heard this on, on actually Wisconsin Public Radio once, or maybe it was NPR where they were talking to someone who wrote an article or something about the, the Barbie doll. Maybe it was a book she wrote about the Barbie doll. But the point was that the bar, the model for the Barbie doll actually came from like a German sex toy, like a sex doll that just got remade into a child's toy. And then when child children play Barbie, they're actually playing outside their age, right? So the idea is that it's, it's actually more suited to, for adults to live out their ideal life. I guess most... Adults are too shameless to actually do this, but given given a nuclear war, maybe you know if that's the only way they can live out this lost past of of bougie middle class life, maybe maybe they'll do it. Children, he said, Dick said, seems to be more at home playing games that are actually teaching real life skills rather than play acting some ideal world. And if you watch children play, this seems to be I think confirmed. I guess some kids do play Barbie doll, but I never really meet them. My nephews and nieces don't really play Barbie dolls. My daughter never played Barbie doll. That's just a few examples, but you know, I, I think there's probably more Barbie dolls have been bought, purchased than actually played with, I guess. Now, in the days of Perky Path, we have two interrelated tragedies. The first is that the war psychologically traumatized the people who survived it. The planet is devastated and their old way of life is impossible. In order to sustain this old way of life, the, the adults live out their old world in a game. And it's not just any old world, it's this old bougie world. The rules of the game aren't clear, obviously, but it seems to be a combination of Barbie dolls and the board game life almost, where the goal is to be as most successful as you can be as you act out the life cycle of Perky Pat or Connie Companion or whatever other dolls you might have. And you go through all the regular challenges of life, whether it's you need to go to therapy or your mortgage is late, your house is foreclosed upon or whatever. If you have the most money in the end after taxes and visiting the doctor and all the other parts of life, you win. The children 
who don't remember this past life at all and would utterly bored and they find it completely bizarre are the they're actually the ones out there working to sustain life and develop the planet and learn skills to actually make it in this world they're learning to hunt and things they may lack many of the skills the adults adults have by hunting and scavenging but they seem to be doing more to actually project the world forward into something that that makes sense that actually can function the adults are done for it seems and to me in this story there there's no hope in the adults anymore any hope there is and it's slight is in the children who are actually learning to hunt and make something of their life and they they just think the old world is is silly they, they see no value in it now the second tragedy here is that developing this planet fixing it repairing it is a real possibility the adults have shown that the adults are shown actually breaking disassembling parts of from these relief packages from mars to use their layouts so they're actually destroying they're undermining their own reclamation efforts the community we see most closely this pinoli fluke pit which is a glorified name for an old bomb shelter they're they're quite skilled at actually breaking up computers and things most of the care packages though are left to rot and they open them and they're dissatisfied with what they get where we so there's a lot of waste and kipple uh, on this on this post-war earth where we do see social development is only only in the context of the game itself the climax of the story comes when norman and fran shine learn that their dolls can pro can progress in life they can get married have children the adults are capable of development they are not entirely stuck in the past but still they can only imagine progress from within the context of the game the children are left mostly feral as a result and the efforts from Mars to develop the planet and recover from the war are squandered. So what this is telling us is that we cannot base our future on the dominant institutions of the older generations. Or if we do so, there's great fault. Now, we may not be facing a war or a post-apocalyptic situation, but we are facing a world in which adults let's let's call them who they are the boomers don't understand the world that young people are in they don't understand millennials they don't understand their economic troubles um, and they don't understand the way debt is crippling them yet they sustain institutions that make life horrible for for younger people meanwhile berating them and saying it's your fault for this or whatever right and you've probably seen these yeah the, not these ads these um Articles about, you know, how millennials are killing Applebee's or something. Well, you know, they can't afford to eat Applebee's, you know, and they, they spend their money in more intelligently. That's that's the answer to it. But the problem is, again, older generations assuming that their way is right and the only way and getting stuck in that way, stuck, stuck, rather than actually learning from young people. There's a space here for taking the younger generation's ability to be independent of the old ways that freedom they have by being born entirely in this new world but then using that the the adults knowledge and the skills and the technologies they have to actually make something of the world that's impossible because the older generation can't imagine a world outside of what they remember however well-meaning or creative those adults could be and they, they seem capable of creativity i mean they, they invented this game the elders are just basically stuck in the old way of thinking it does not take a nuclear war to see this, right? Corporations can't fix their attitude towards ecology. We can't dismantle the fact that most corporations are run by people who grew up in a time when ecology was not a major concern. But now 
these institutions are kind of stuck in old ways of thinking about profit and, and the environment. Politicians, mostly old people, can't empathize with student debt because in their day, university education was pretty much free. So you blame the boomers for leaving a pretty shitty economic, political, and environmental situation for younger generations to clean up. But maybe Dick is saying it's not entirely their fault. But it certainly seems that the boomers are playing their own version of Perky Pat, while the rest of, well, the younger people are struggling to survive on the margins of this devastated economy and social structure. So one lesson of the days of Perky Pat is that even a catastrophic collapse, nuclear war or economic meltdown, will not necessarily convince people to change their point of view. In fact, it almost always reinforces it. So that's my view. That's my interpretation of the days of Perky Pat. It's a brilliant story, I think. It has a lot here that's not in the three stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. So don't just see it as a first draft of that novel. In fact, the way it's all done in the three stigmata is completely different. It's, it's about the drugs and it's more of a psychedelic experience people are having. It has the same kind of anodyne effect. But here, it's, it's actually literally just people playing with dolls. There's no interference of drugs at all in it. It's, so it's, it's actually more bizarre and more weird to experience. It's, a, it's, a, so it's, a, it's actually a more frightening novel. It actually makes more sense if it is drugs that they're kind of living these lives directly through through drug experiences. But no, here it's just their imagination. So the, the adults are shown as actually more creative here, but it's just a totally misdirected and, and futile creativity. So anyways, that's my thoughts on the days of Perky Pat. I, I love it. I, I really like it. So um, that's it. Um, but leave your own feelings about the story below. I would love to hear from you. Anything I missed, anything I didn't comment on or skipped over, please share what you think. Or you can send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. In the next episode, I'll be looking at two stories. What what do we do with Raglan Park and Standby? These two stories go together quite um, directly. They're actually one is a sequel to the other, and they were published just one month apart in the same journal. So we can just take them as one story with, with one analysis. So um, with that, I'm going to let you go. Um, again, please leave your own feelings about the days of Perky Pat below. I'll be back shortly with Standby and What Do We Do With Raglan Park. Thanks again for listening. You must search till you find the You will find peace and contentment for if you